Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome. We're so glad to have you with us here this evening on Ask Herbal Health Expert Susan Weed, a two-hour radio show each Tuesday night. Herbal medicine is people's medicine, simple, safe, effective. Please bring your curiosity and health questions. Susan will enlighten, surprise, and delight you. I know most of you know Susan Weed already. She's my mom, so I know her. But for those of you who have not yet met Susan, I'd like to share, she is the author of the Wise Woman Herbal Series, wonderful books on women's health and herbal medicine, including Wise Woman Herbal for the Childbearing Year, Breast Cancer Breast Health! Exclamation Point, The Wise Woman Way, Healing Wise, The Wise Woman Herbal, New Menopausal Years, The Wise Woman Way, down there, sexual and reproductive health, the wise woman way. And abundantly well, seven medicines, the wise woman way. The newest book in the wise woman herbal series. So exciting. In addition to being the editor at Ashtree Publishing and writing her books, Susan is the director of the Wise Woman Center in Woodstock, New York. The Wise Woman Center is open to the public on appointment-only basis. She offers weekend workshops, intensives, and apprenticeships throughout the season. Susan is also available to you online via wisewomanmentor.com. There you can go and view her weekly e-zine. You can subscribe to receive a notification via email each week, or you could join her mentorship program. Susan also offers distance learning correspondence courses and online courses at thewisewomanschool.com. Join us there for colorful, instructive, easy video courses, including Easy Herbal Medicine with Susan Weed, Happy Needs, a cancer diagnosis, adaptogens for long life, and abundantly well companion course, wisewomanschool.com. You can also just go to her website, susanweed.com, where you will find thousands of pages online with recipes, articles, art features, and so much more. Well, for now, let's see what Susan has to share with us this evening. Thank you, and welcome, Susan. Thank you, Justine, and welcome, Sarah Ellen. Hi, Susan. How are you this evening? Oh, the weather continues to be amazingly beautiful. How is it there where you are? Mm, It is shifting here. 
Uh, we've had some soggy days, but today is really feeling like fall, um, cooling and drying as of this evening after being soupy and soggy all day. <laughs> oh, sunny, bright, bright, bright and sunny here. Nice. Just, What's your temperature? Yeah, and nighttime temperature still in the mid-50s. Mm. So hardly fall at all, although the trees have said, that's it. We're not waiting for it to get cold. We're just turning the colors anyhow. Yes. Oh, my gosh. The colors have started here, and every day more and more leaves are on the ground. The trees are getting more see-through every, I mean, from morning to afternoon. It's definitely in full swing. (laughs) Wow. 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 Oh, that is amazing. Ah, so what have we been doing? We've we moved a ton of hay into the barn on Saturday, and then we moved a ton of hay into the barn on Sunday. And then we said we will wait and put the last forty bales in the barn next weekend. Because I didn't think I was up for doing it um, three days in a row. <laughs> oh, that's a lot of hay. Lucky goaties. They're ready for it winter. It is, yeah. 40, 50-pound bales. Wow. 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 A lot to do. For sure. For sure. Mm-hmm. Uh. Yeah. I saw my neighbor getting hay delivery, and I called to ask, where are you getting that from? Because where are you I'm, getting I'm that to... hay? <laughs> yeah, this is time. I've been cleaning the heated watering bowl. It's a little early for that, but I don't want to be surprised. So, well, ah, Right, 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 right. Exactly. Yep. Yeah, good mm-hmm. point. We've been stacking firewood, so yes, you know everybody's preparations for winter are going on apace, even though we're pretending it's not really going to happen. Right. Right. <laughs> oh, yeah, we'll stack this firewood and get this day, but it's not really going to be winter, is it? <laughs> oh, my gosh. I'm trying oh gosh. to stand as possible after hearing you talk to the caller last week about, you know, really taking this time of the year to let yourself get cold. So um been enjoying opportunities to do that, go out earlier, stay out later, wear less, and just really shift with the seasons and get cold. <laughs> Good for you. Good for you. It's yeah. so important to get cold right now. It pays such amazing dividends as the weather gets cold because your body has been able to figure out what to do. And today I was talking with the new apprentice about um, bringing that into your food as well. Take a look Mm -hmm. at your food. What are you eating that isn't seasonal? If you're eating bananas and oranges and papaya and pineapple, that's very confusing for your body because those things don't grow where it's cold. Yeah. Oh, that's so 
so in tune. I will stop the bananas. That is one of those things that was on the list. Yes. Wow. I love that. Thank you for rounding that in there. I love that. Thank you. Right. The the fruits now are apples and grapes, right? Mm-hmm. Definitely apples. It's so easy to buy any food you want. We have such access to food, and we have it year-round, and that is so wonderful. And it's very confusing for people because they don't have a way to know what's in season if they're living in an urban environment. The cues aren't there for them, right? Right. Right. I'm going to have to interrupt our talk for a moment because our apprentice is refusing to come in. I'm not sure why she's refusing to come in and why she's outside making me interrupt my conversation, and I hope she does not do it again. All right, I think I've gotten her inside. So what have you been up to this week? Um, this week, let's see, this week kicked off some birthday celebrations. Been doing it long distance. Oh, yeah. Niece, yeah, my niece helped celebrate her dad's birthday, my little brother. So that was fun doing that on Zoom with her and sending some surprises to the door with things, you know, that are available these days. They live in California, so I was not making the trip out there. But it's been really special to have this sweet little three-year-old in our life and watching my brother melt on her behalf. So, um, yeah, kicking off the birthday season. My little sister had a birthday, too, and she lives in Florida, so did the long-distance thing with that again. And trying to do the buck rag with the goats, Still, but I tell you, I just, oh my goodness, I'm developing a physical aversion to this scent. I, my reaction is getting more and more sensitive. So I try to tell myself it's in my head, but oh my goodness, Susan, it is not in my head. head, Your nose. (laughs) Why are you lying to yourself? No, you're right. I I tried to pretend, and I said, it's not. So my husband um, has taken to offering the rag to them a few times. I'm trying to convince him, like, it's an experiment. Let's see. Maybe it'll get your hormones, like, surging, and you'll, like, feel feats of strength or something. Um, but he he's even hesitant after watching me and my reactions. Just, uh, you know, I get migraines, but that's even been a part of it. Like, I get into these bouts of migraines um, and hot flashes that are just, I mean, it's as out of this world as watching the buck act like. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I've been toying with that and trying to get so the I was telling my dentist today that a male goat's idea of how to be sexy and attractive is to piss all over his face. Yeah. <laughs> And they make all kinds of crazy sounds and do crazy things with their face. I mean, they just act over the top. So, that even has a uh, name. That's called the Fleischmanns. That upper lip uh, curled up like that. It's so cute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
it's something else. They want to get it as much as like every bit of them they can. They want it. So yeah, I've been um, working with the girls, and I'm hoping that they're going to be interested soon because I am ready to be done with this rag. <laughs> okay. Well, hopefully your girls will be obviously in heat and you will take them off to where the rag came from and all will be well. I hope so, yes. And then start enjoying their pregnancy and looking forward to some kids. <laughs> it's almost impossible oh. to tell whether or not a goat is pregnant. Mm. They look pregnant all the time, don't they? They do. They do. So it's it's. I have seen seasoned, experienced vets say, "Oh no, this goat isn't pregnant, and she gives birth five days later." Oh yes, this goat is definitely pregnant, and she never gives birth. It can be really oh, wow. hard to tell by looking. That's why you stand in the stall with her and the buck, and then after the deed is done, you lift her tail and make sure that you see a good wad of you-know-what. Oh, thank you. Oh, I'm so glad you're uh-huh. talking about that. Thank you. Lovely. Yep. Thank you. Oh, Lovely. Thank you. <laughs> Sounded like a goat. See what I mean? That scent is really getting to me. <laughs> uh, well, tonight... At 9 o'clock East Coast time, Brianna Borton is going to be with us. Brianna Borton is a leader and a teacher in a new category of spirituality. She focuses on our connection to our souls, each other, and the divine. And her greatest passion is doing energy work with people in groups. So, Stay with us until 9 o'clock, and you'll get to hear Brianna Borton or do something else and come back at 9 o'clock or whatever time it is for you when it's 9 o'clock out here on the East Coast. Are there any people with questions? Yes. Five callers have already pressed one to signal that they have a question and are ready to speak with you this evening. Um, Let's Anyone else on the line who has a question, please do remember to press 1 so we can get you lined up in the queue. First caller tonight is calling from the 603 area code. From the 603, you are live with Susan. Hi, Susan. It's wonderful hearing you this evening. Thank you. What's up with you? Oh, Susan, I have a question. There is a... Lifeline screening available in my community. I do know of a couple of um, um, older friends of mine. They don't live around here, but in another state, who have had this screening available. One, one is in her 80s. I'm 71. There are four screenings that are offered. Um, one is. Um, carotid artery screening for plaque. It's an avoid ultrasound. That. Avoid, avoid that. Avoid that. Completely okay. avoid. Now, what? What? Why is that? Can you tell me? It says it. It screens for buildup of fatty plaque, a leading cause of strokes. So, if I avoid that, what can I do to avoid? Uh, fatty buildup of plaque and cause of strokes. Do you eat what? a good diet? 
Yeah. Do you drink nourishing herbal infusions? Yes. Do you move your body? Yes. Well, those are the things that prevent the buildup of plaque. These tests are for people who don't take care of themselves. Do you understand that? Mm-hmm. These are well, tests I... that are useful for people who are eating the standard American diet. That's S-A-D, right? Sad. Yes. Okay, now, I just went and got my copy of Abundantly Well. And in Abundantly Well, in Step 6, on page 229, I start talking about screening tests. High-tech screening tests subject healthy people to harm in the hope of finding disease. The harm that is done by the screening test will prevent a greater harm, so the thinking goes, but this desire is more hope than reality. Screening tests both directly and indirectly damage our health and do little or nothing to increase longevity. I'm reading to you from page 229. Vinay Prasad, an oncologist, says the claim that a screening test saves lives is almost always based on disease-specific mortality, not overall death. The U.S. Preventative Services Task Force, an independent expert panel that advises the government and medical organizations about preventative health care, says too many people are screened too frequently at the wrong age with tests that are inaccurate. Alex Christ, MD of the U.S. Preventative Services Task Force, says tests seem like they could help, but they're not backed by data, and they actually open you up to intense harm. Then I have a box, U.S. Preventative Services Task Force Guidelines for High-Tech Screening Tests, recommended once for osteoporosis, screening for women over 65. You're over 65, you're a woman, have a one-time screening for osteoporosis. Yearly or every other year, pap smear with HPV screening, highly recommended for women 21 to 65. Not recommended carotid artery calcium screening ill advised and overused procedure that leads to harm so even if you just have it done once I do have sure you just jump off a cliff once it does a little harm right no, I don't know. I, I just don't. If you could just please explain to me what, what is the damage that an ultrasound evaluation can do? Because I do have a sister who... Some harms um, are caused by inaccurate tests. False positives send hundreds of thousands of people into unneeded surgery. Oh, I wouldn't do that. I would just like to know. I wouldn't do... You know, oh, so you I would think know, but if they told you that you needed surgery or drugs, you wouldn't do that surgery or take those drugs? No, I would, I would ask your opinion that if, if they, they found, if you had buildup in your arteries, what would you do? I've um, already told I, you. 
yeah. What did you? If you think that your diet isn't good enough, make it better. If you think yeah. you're not moving enough, move more. Yeah. You do you really need to subject yourself to a test in order to take better care of yourself? If that's really what you're telling me. Well, I just yeah. need to know that if I'm messed up, then, then I'll take care of myself. Is that really what you're saying? No, it's, no, not at all. Why don't we just um, take care of ourselves? Yeah, I hear The only you. reason to do these screenings if you're go- is if you are going to take the drugs or do the surgery. And you may be surprised at how forceful they become in terms of telling you what you have to do. In other words, if you get this test and it turns out there's some plaque in your arteries, they may feel that if you refuse the surgery they recommend that you need to be arrested. I wouldn't even have to tell anybody because this is just a company that travels around. You know what I mean? And they do this. You're wrong. You are wrong. This has become part of your permanent medical record. Well, well, actually, I, I... I don't think so because my doctor doesn't have to know anything about this. Why are you talking about this place? It sounds like a fly-by-night place. That I've just said that one of the main problems is the tests are inaccurate, and you've just told me that this is a group that can't be trusted. Okay, okay. I understand that you want to do this, and be my guest. No, I I don't know. Be my guest. You go right out there and you do it. But what I'm telling you is... This is crazy. It's a waste of money. It's a waste of time. And it sets you up in a most unhealthy way without adding anything to your store of knowledge or your health. Okay. I would just like to mention that the other three things were heart rhythm screening for atrial fibrillation, which my sister found out too late after she had a stroke and that and she has AFib, but but she takes drugs. But there's no way I would take drugs. AFib, anyway, does, um, AFib does not cause strokes. Uh, well, I know she. I I don't know. Well, she had a stroke. That. She mm-hmm. had a stroke. Usually, we have strokes because we're not moving enough, because we're not eating well. Okay. Do you know what AFib is? Not really. I I think it's um um like um irregular movement of the heart muscle in some way. It 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 like maybe goes yes, rapid. Yes, instead of the heart thumpa. going thumpa thumpa thumpa, it goes. Yeah. And my dad and they had shock that. shock it back in into a rhythm, or they install a pacemaker. Mm-hmm. To do okay. that. And the so other, the next are you saying that you believe on the basis of what has happened to your sister who eats exactly the same that you do and no, does the same exercise and movement that you do, that therefore, because this happened to her, it's going to happen to you? Is that what you're telling me? No, no. Um, it just seems to be running in my family, that's all. But um, I, um, okay. oh, I... Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. Who else, in, who else in your family has AFib? Um, my dad. Uh-huh. And, and dad, he was diagnosed with it at what and age? And my brother. Um, 
He was diagnosed probably in his 70s, and my brother was diagnosed younger. Mm-hmm. And um, they eat the same diet that you eat? No. No. And no. they don't sit around watching TV. They're out and they're active, like you. Actually, um, they both were active, but that what was different was their diet. But I, mm-hmm. I don't need to, um, you know, beat a dead horse here. I understand what you're saying, and I appreciate that. Um, if I may mention the third screening. So this is, let me tell you that I have never had any of these tests. I've never even so much okay. as had my cholesterol measured. Well, that's it's pointless I to have a test if you are not going to take the remedy they prescribe. Well, that's one of the things I wanted to ask you. Um, would taking, because I am not um, taking any, do, I mean, um, taking in any tinctures right now. Is Hawthorne tincture a, a wise thing to take now that I'm in my 70s to avoid, to help? I mean, besides eating healthy, I'm not doing, I you know, supplements I, I take anything. a dropper full of Hawthorne tincture at least once a day, sometimes twice a day. Hawthorne for a healthy older heart, without a doubt. It's a yeah, food that's for that's what heart. I was looking for from you, is something that I can do preventively besides eating well and, you know, and what the things you suggested um, for an older heart. I have, an, there... I have an entire course called Healthy Heart, Oh. Which is at wisewomanschool.com. Wisewomanschool.com. And okay. so that's one place that you can go to. And okay. then in, in the book Abundantly Well, um, I have an, in pharmaceutical mes, medicine, I have two-page spreads. So here's antihypertensive alternatives and antihypertensive drugs. And here we have um, heart-healthy alternatives and cholesterol-lowering drugs. That's page 194 and 195. Okay. Heart-healthy alternatives give you an appendix of foods that are good for the heart. Talks about exercise. Talks about hawthorne, linden, shiitake, ginseng, and cadenopsis. Okay, I'm going to have to see if I can purchase that book. Since um, I've been referring to it so much tonight, and it seems like the answers to what you want are Yeah, here. that's so, great. Yeah. The other thing I just would like to tell you is you might be curious. Um, I definitely am. They say the, the third one is abdominal, ab, abdominal aortic aneurysm screening. That would the be screen- the last thing I would be curious about. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. And the, and the last one is peripheral, peripheral arterial disease screening. Evaluates for peripheral art, arterial disease plaque buildup in the lower extremities. So hmm. let me ask you this. I certainly don't think that I have as much knowledge as the U.S. Preventative Services Task Force. Do you? U.S. Preventative Task Force. I don't know what that is. U.S. Preventative Services Task Force. The U.S. Preventative Services Task Force is an independent expert panel that advises the government and medical organizations about preventative health care. They say 
Too many people are screened too frequently at the wrong age with tests that are inaccurate. The only tests that they recommend are a one-time test for osteoporosis and a yearly or every other year pap smear. Only they do not recommend any other screening. Now, I take their word for it because the U.S. Preventative Services Task Force is a panel of people who are interested in preventative medicine, and I don't really have the time or the resources to look into every single one of these tests that you're talking about. So I say, U.S. Preventative Services Task Force, what do you say? And they say... We only okay. recommend these two tests. The rest of them don't do. And it doesn't even mention mammograms. It does. I do. They do. But not as a test that you should have on a regular basis. Well, And the same thing I with PSA tests. What's PSA? Prostate-specific antigen. Oh, An yeah. Ind- oh, yeah. An independent meta-analysis of 600,000 women who had regular yearly mammograms found no overall benefit and no increase in lifespan. False alarms experienced by 50 to 61 percent of U.S. women who get regular mammograms cause substantial emotional, physical, and financial distress including vastly increased insurance premiums. I haven't had a mammogram in over 20 years, and I only then had why are you even thinking about doing these other things? You know yeah. better. You okay. know better. Okay. Take and care of yourself. Said, and I think you and said, Susan, that the, 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 the every other year screening for a pap between the ages of 21 and 65. Yeah, so I'm over 65, so that means they're not, if I understood you correctly, that means I don't need any PAPs anymore. It's not yeah? me. We're talking about the U.S. Preventative Services Task Force, yes? Yeah, I mean, that's, yes. Yes. But, so yeah, I'm, I am reading from my book, Abundantly Well, page 230, a box on U.S. Preventative Services Task Force guidelines for high-tech screening tests. And the only two they recommend are those two not recommended except for those at very high risk. And I give you a list of some that are not recommended. But, of course, I haven't given you a list of all the ones that aren't recommended because the book is not about that. It's just about the general rule of thumb that if you're a healthy individual, screening tests are probably going to do you more harm than good. The exception to that being... If you are willing to take the drug or do the surgery for something that the screening test might show up. Yeah, thank, thank you very much for that. I have not had a test for osteoporosis, um, and um, I'm over 65, so according to what they say, I, don't, I think I interpret that as I don't need a PAP anymore. Is that right? Or do they say you need it they're more saying, often after 65? That is exactly what they're saying, yes. Okay, because you could interpret that, that, oh, they, you might need it more often, a pap more often after age 65, but I don't think that's what they're saying. 
if you have suddenly become sexually active with new partners, then it's always a good idea to get a pap smear. Yeah. No matter okay. what your age. So because I haven't been not a good idea to just make a check mark on a chart according to your age. Again, mm-hmm. health is something that has to take into account all of the things that are going on yeah. in your life. Let's face it, the assumption is that a 65-year-old woman isn't having sex, so we don't need to check her. Right. And one other thing. That may or may not be true, and you would know better than anyone. A pap smear is certainly non-invasive. And Mm -hmm. um, although I have heard from women who had doctors lock them in a room and say, I'm going to do a a colposcopy, I'm going to take a piece out of your cervix, and they've had to scream to get out of there. No, I'm um, not so doing again, the test. Again, any time you say yes to a test, you leave yourself open to mm-hmm. the doctor deciding that the remedies that they want to use cannot be refused. Yes. Okay. So um, I have not had a test for osteoporosis, but, I, of course, I don't want to take any drugs. So if by any chance I do have... If you're not going to take any drugs, then it's pointless to have the test. Well, I'd like to know if there's anything I, I can do besides eating a healthy diet if, you know, I do have, you know, or just Do you have my book, New Menopause of Years, The Wise Woman Way? Yes, I do. There's an entire chapter on it. Oh, okay. I will look at that. So Remember that the book heart, is div- divided into before menopause, during menopause, and after menopause. Okay. I I haven't consulted that book in quite some time. Um, being You're missing out on the last third of it, which tells you how to have a healthy heart, how to oh, have strong God. bones, how okay. to be sexually vigorous. Yeah, we moved, so I think that got lost in the move, so I have to I sure understand I, it can happen. I, I, I hope you like I the new place. That. But you did suggest Hawthorne tincture, so I was just wondering if there are any other tinctures that I missed out on. Anything. You asked me if Hawthorne was good for the older heart, and I agreed with you. Yes, yeah, yes, that's that's right. Yes. Thank you and I have just told you that there's a whole section on herbs and foods that are good for the heart in Abundantly Well as well as in New Menopause Years, the Wise Woman. Way. Okay, I'll check both of those out. With that, out. Thank I'm you good so to say much. green blessings and go out. Yes, next green time. blessings. Thank you. Good night. Good night. All right, and at this time we have five callers that have pressed one to signal they have a question. Our next caller is calling from the 812 area code. From the 812, you are live with Susan. Hey, Susan, this is Arta. Hi, Arta. Hey. I just moved to the southwest, to New Mexico, um, and I love it here. It's It's a new environment for me, though, and I notice that I'm really thirsty and my skin's kind of dry, and they seem like probably normal things, you know, just moving out here from the Midwest. But I wonder if there's anything you'd suggest for not being so dry or maybe maybe not being so thirsty. I do think So let me ask that, you this. When you drink, what are you drinking? Pretty much the majority of what I drink is infusions, nourishing herbal infusions, and I also drink tea. Mm-hmm. And what kind of tea? Hmm. Black Sometimes tea, I green take, tea? No, no, not black tea. I'm kind of sensitive to caffeine. Um, every now and then, green tea, but rarely. So 
so herbal tea, just like a loose herb steeped in a little metal tin. Sometimes like chamomile or uh-huh. mint. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, it's always hard to know how to tell someone to be healthy in a place that their body doesn't want to be in. Okay. It's an extremely arid environment. Right. And maybe your body will be able to accommodate it and maybe not. Okay. I know that when I go into, say, the Boulder area, that I'm pretty limited as to the amount of time that I can stay there because it is so dry and I can't keep enough water in my body. If I start drinking more, all that happens is I pee more. Right, right. And so I actually wind up losing more by drinking more. I see. So I just limit the amount of time that I'm in that kind of arid environment because my body doesn't like it, and okay. it's not ancestrally familiar to me. Okay. All of my ancestors came from moist, cold, mountainous places. I see. Okay. Hohoba oil is, well, jojoba is a desert plant. And so I always think in the desert of what kinds of things grow there that are good for the skin. Jojoba oil, aloe vera. Okay. So I look around at that environment for the plants that are surviving there and see if they can offer me some help in surviving there. Okay. New Mexico has some very lovely spots. Yes, yes. Without a doubt, but it always now holds a little bit of terror for me because a (laughs) sweetheart of mine uh, moved to New Mexico because she was having some um, health problems that she thought would be helped by living in a hotter, drier climate. And she wound up having a uh, heart attack because of radioactive dust. Oh, my. So I always suggest to anybody who is in New Mexico that you check out where you are vis-a-vis the uranium mines. Right, right, right. And how those winds are blowing. Sure. Because it's a fairly dangerous place to be. She had no idea. I see. And her lungs were so damaged from the radioactive dust, and her heart was so damaged that they were going to do a heart transplant, but she died in the preparatory stages of it. Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah, so as I said, you know, New Mexico, I I grew up in Texas, so New Mexico was just right next door, New Mexico, Oklahoma. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) but... uh, but as an adult, it's t- taken on this tinge of, oh, you know, they did yes, this I stuff. See. I don't even know if the mines are still active or if it's just from tailings that are just left out. 
But okay, it's not well, just her. It's like, it's like something that yes. does happen in New Mexico, so it's worth checking into. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. Thanks for that. And good okay. luck with with keeping yourself moist. <laughs> yeah. Thanks so much, Susan. Okay. You're welcome. Invite the moisture angel. Okay. Oh, yeah. All right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Bye. You're welcome. Bye. Bye-bye. Green blessings. All right. And we have five callers that have queued up by pressing one. And the next caller with the question is calling from the 918 code. From the 919, you are live with Susan. Hi. Good evening. Hi. Um, so I have a couple questions. I'll start with the one about nettle. Um, this is my first year working with fresh nettle. Um, I got, like, one little plant from from a neighbor and now I've got like you know a patch that's like 10 foot radius um, which is pretty awesome Um, and I so I'm curious about a couple of things so the first is I I was thinking about making some nettle pesto but I've heard different things about working with it in the fall and it hasn't gone to seed or to flower yet again but it seems like it's about to um do you have any advice about using uh fresh nettles in the fall i was yeah just generally i'm a little perplexed (laughs) as to where you live that your nettle hasn't yet flowered Okay, I'm in, I'm in um, Central North Carolina, so the Piedmont, and we're still getting like 80 degrees during the day and like 60s at night. So you're talking about a nettle patch that you have been harvesting regularly throughout the season? And so it's so, small and has fresh green growth on it? Yes. So it's like the new growth. I, I did harvest it in the spring and then let it then go to seed. Uh, yeah, go to seed. And then this is like new growth that's coming up around the edges. And it doesn't seem you to be flowering. You could use that. Not good quality, but you could use it. Okay. Okay. That's what I was wondering because I had heard, I don't know, I don't, can't remember if it was you or somebody else. But, yeah, that like this I, I time don't, of year is not. I do definitely do not use it once it's gone to seed. Okay. And technically, it, it has gone to seed, hasn't it? Right, yes. So, like, okay, I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. Yeah, it's like you're trying to, like, uh, somehow cut a corner. I, I'm not exactly sure what. Here's what I do, just to be clear. I have one patch of nettle that I cut approximately every three weeks. Okay. It never goes to seed. Oh, you do it all all year? Every three weeks. Oh, wow. Okay. I make nettle 
that nettle every three weeks. Uh, So there's always young growth. I see. Now, in the spring, we cut it down as close to the ground as we can. But as Mm -hmm. the year goes on, people tend to cut up higher and higher. And right now, they have a lot of, because, of course, um, it will grow from the axles, right? So now there's like nettles with four, four nice, great tops on them. I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's what mine is, too. I think it's well, more of like actually the, completely cut it yeah. off, and it's regrowing from where you cut it. That's and that's right. why I ask you: Did you? Cut it? But if you just let it go to seed, and now there's yeah. like a little new shoot coming out here and there, that plant mm-hmm. really has gone to seed. Okay. Okay. Um, that's different than what I'm talking about. It. And I think that's I think that's what I have. Yeah. Seed, like basil, right? Right. Have you grown basil? Yes, yes. Have you tasted the difference between the basil after it's flowered and seeded and before? Yes, it's super bitter after. Even if you were to cut the flowers off and say, well, look, it doesn't mm-hmm. have flowers on it. Uh-huh. It still wouldn't be tasty, right? Yes, yes. Because certain chemical changes have occurred in the plant as a result of flowering and seeding. Got it. Okay. That's so great to know. Okay. Would you would you cut it? I was considering cutting it all back and making like the nettle fertilizer, like the nettle rot. Um, Is that like worth it this time of year or shall I just, I guess it's kind of a I'm trying to figure out how to manage this little piece. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Um, because I put it in this really great spot. It may not spot. be that it needs to be managed. Okay. What is the best way to manage you? <laughs> Leave me alone. Oh, really? <laughs> I'm a little bit concerned about where I put it. It's neck. It's in this really beautiful um, spot where I we moved our big compost, like our decomposed compost over, and I planted some pawpaws right next to it that are doing really well. And I'm afraid the nettles are going to kind of take over the whole area because I <laughs> just didn't plan accordingly. So I was like, do I need to? you know, cut these back a lot or just trying to so figure out how to... So what is the result of cutting it back? What will that do? It will make them grow even more. Yes, of course. Fred? Yeah, yes. okay. So, okay. So does does yours... If your you, really, spread if you really don't want it there, you need to dig it up. Okay. <laughs> okay. You can make nettle root tincture. You can make nettle root vinegar. Oh. But if it, you know, it it will absolutely, without a doubt, go into the compost pile and thrive there. Yeah, it's super happy. Yeah. 
What, and if what you don't do want what? that, and it really does have to be moved. It's not going to be convinced. Got you. Yeah, okay. Good to know. <laughs> <laughs> Nettle likes damp, um, damp, rich soil, and you've provided yeah. that. Yes, yeah. it's so happy there. It's so happy, which I'm very excited about because I didn't, I've never had, there's no nettle on this land, and it doesn't really thrive. You don't see it down here that much, so like in the wild. So it's pretty cool that it's so happy here. Um, yes. What, what would you use the root tincture for? Like, yeah, what is it? I don't have a copy of Healing Wise right here, but it's covered in Healing Wise oh, in my green book. okay. Okay, great. I'll take I'll take I'll take a look. Um, my second question is about yellow dock. So I typically make tincture in the winter of yellow dock that grows in our garden, and um, I'm just curious about timing because here the yellow dock is you know fresh green leaves right now, and um, is there is it um, is it a little bit like dandelion where the medicine made from the root will be good any time? Um, is is there because I'm a yellow dock is a little funny for me too because here it's like it goes to seed and then it just resprouts because we have cattle that like will sometimes graze there or or whatever. So basically, like the plants. Like and we don't really get hard hard freezes. That's very typical of a perennial. Okay. Perennials like nettle and yellow dock and dandelion have mm-hmm. flowers and seeds, and then they go about the business of having more leaves. Yes. Okay. An annual like basil has flowers and seeds, and that's it. It's over and out. Because it's a Annual, it's not going to live on, but the perennial is going to live on. So in general, a root is a storage area. During the time between spring equinox and fall equinox, the plants receive a lot of light. And they use that light as food for photosynthesis. That food allows them to grow, to make flowers and seeds, and to grow more leaves. After fall equinox, there is very... Clearly, less and less light, and that light comes in at a greater and greater angle, making it harder and harder for, for the plants to photosynthesize. Many plants, deciduous trees among them, just call it quits and drop their leaves and say, oh, we'll be back to you next year. We're done with photosynthesis for the year. Other plants, the leaves can continue to be green, or they might be green for a while and then kind of get a little quiet, but a lot of those plants are storing things in their roots. Mm -hmm. They're storing up 
carbohydrate. They're storing up constituents to get them through the winter and to give them the start they need in the spring. Mm-hmm. Let's say that there's 100 units of stuff in the dandelion root. In June, little of that will be carbohydrate. There'll be some. It is a root. By October, far more of that is carbohydrate. By December, once there have been actual frosts, then we come to about the largest amount of carbohydrate. Mm-hmm. As the winter continues on, that carbohydrate is used, and it's used to maintain the plant's life so that by the time we get to the spring, we have a plant with less carbohydrate in it. Mm-hmm. So that might, if we had 100 units, we might say that, that in the middle of the summer, it's like 30 carbohydrate, and then as it's getting into the fall, it's 50, and then when it's really cold, it's like 80 carbohydrate. So if 10 of those units are active constituents, they are going to be more buffered by the carbohydrate in the winter dug root and less buffered in the spring dug root. They're not the same. Mm Mm-hmm. Not in dandelion, not in any plant. Can you make a remedy from dandelion any day of the year? Yes, you can. Is it the same mm-hmm. remedy? Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. So yes, yellow duck is a perennial, and that does mean that you could harvest it at any time. But what do you want from the yellow duck? For mm-hmm. instance, Chicory is usually, the chicory root is usually harvested to be roasted. And so it's often harvested while the plant is flowering because for the chicory, that's its peak of carbohydrate production. And that makes the roasted root taste sweet. Mm -hmm. So what are you primarily using the yellow dock for? Um, I, so both for, uh, I often give it to people who, who have experienced constipation. Uh Uh-huh. And then also for helping with iron absorption. So both of those are the main things that I think of yellow dog tinctures Mm -hmm. for. And you're in a situation where you're giving this out to dozens of people on a yearly basis. No, but but a few, just friends and and my community. I don't find they use very much yellow dock. I agree that if those are good uses, but those are pretty limited. Uh huh. That's why I'm asking you. You're in a situation where you're giving out massive amounts. You know, a lot of pregnant women, or you know, dozens of people who are constipated. I don't even really. I do. uh, I don't even really think that constipation is a problem. I mean, have you ever known anybody die of constipation? I know. So it's there's 
families, they're families that I'm in community with. They're all, um, they're, they're, there's a lot of different situations, but one of their concerns, like there's, there have been several children who have come to me who suffer from constipation. They're not people who are, uh, are, who know about the wise woman tradition and we talk about um, generally lifestyle things that can be supportive, but when, you know, for example, one of the women who comes out to my farm, her husband takes a lot of laxatives. And we've talked about, like, things that he can do, but I also offered up we could make yellow dot t-shirts together and he could try it. And so, you know, this is an example of somebody who, like, we made it together. And once it had what to be a persecuted. great idea. I love that you made it with her, yes. Yeah, yeah. So then, so then she was able to use it. So that's how I do, I do it. Um, and, I've, and I do know now, right now several women who have been coming to me saying, one who's, who's bleeding heavily and is having trouble building back up her iron. Um, and so, you know, I do talk about all the other things and suggest lots of things, but it is actually a remedy that I have given out a lot. Well, I, 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 hey, I'm, I'm a little more concerned about the mm-hmm. fact that you're um, giving people advice and remedies. Okay. I'm not selling no. it. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Okay. Really, does, in the eyes of the law, you give it to people that's selling it. The people who tried to popularize stevia were raided because they had a warehouse that contained stevia and a book about stevia. You take somebody out and you show them where Yellow Dock is and you show them how to make a tincture or a vinegar and they do it, no problem. You make it and you give it to them in the eyes of the law you sold it. Mm-hmm. And it puts you at risk. And it puts you at risk in ways that you maybe don't even think about. Say this person who took laxatives decided to take yellow duck tincture that you gave his wife, and for some reason he died. His family could sue you. I definitely hear what you're saying. I'm, I am not. I do lots of risky things. So like, I, okay. I'm more concerned. Right. Yeah. No, but I also think it's a big risk to one's personal morals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm interested in hearing your take on that. I wouldn't have thought that at well, all. Well, you but. know, there's just n- n- no way to trust someone who has an interest in. You, if if you learned that I owned Frontier Herb, you would think very differently about what I say, wouldn't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's fascinating. I mean, I it's very it's interesting. Really, I think yeah. it's very important for us 
as we purvey information, not Mm -hmm. to be the purveyors of the stuff. Mm -hmm. Well, so how, what about this, Susan? Because I, I do, you know, I do sell a lot of things, not, not actually not herbal remedies, but food. Um, So in describing what, I mean, it's just, I don't know. (laughs) Because it's like there are people who say that a food has any effect on health. Right. That, that's, that's totally, You're not I get to it. Yeah. Right. Right. And I mean, nothing can you know. say scientific evidence suggests but has not proven that eating a serving of nuts a day might improve your heart health. That's about as much as you can possibly say. Right. 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 And uh, I mean, it's just about like uh, describing what it is that you do that is, you know, not, not saying it'll have an effect on health. So with tinctures and with giving them I'm out not sure in community, describing what it will do, we're describing what you will do. I'm not clear well, what, what you're saying. What you do, I guess I'm just saying like what you do because it ma- like particularly with food and also with tinctures, you describe how you make it, or you know, for example, with animals, like how you raise them or how you produce the vegetables, and then people can decide, you know, based on the information they have, what that means to them, right? With, with, um, with giving out remedies, um, you know, the, the folks that I am in community with don't have, I mean, well, there's a lot going on, but, um, so you're suggesting that, or what I hear you saying is that, to be aware of the conflict between giving the information about what I understand these remedies can do for them and actually giving them the remedy. So basically the act of like potentially teaching them how I make the remedies so that they can make them and they would do it here because they're, you know, um, they're uh, like on my land because there's constraints for a lot of folks to be able to do it in other places. So like a comfort level. Um, but that just that conflict of pot- potential conflict of interest and in just giving them remedies because they're my friends and community and are experiencing a lot of stress and, you know, systemic oppression, et cetera. I personally think that giving someone a remedy is oppression. I find it patronizing. It's saying, you're not good enough to make this. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember back in the 50s and 60s, a lot of food aid was sent to places. And much of that food 
aid was misused. It was stacked up in warehouses and lied to rot and never got to the people. It was used as bribes. But it came out of that same thinking that we're going to send food to people who don't have it and are too oppressed to get it. That food aid made things a lot worse. I don't know if you've heard of the organization called Heifer International. Mm-hmm. But Heifer International had a different idea. Their idea was that all people can help themselves if you get them started. And what Heifer International has done very, very successfully all over the world is to give an animal, usually a pregnant animal, to a family. And the family, once the animal gives birth, gives an animal back to Heifer International. And a single milk goat, a single water buffalo, has turned around not just the life of the family that gets it, but the entire community because they are now actively participating in what makes them healthy rather than being reduced to someone with their hand out. Right. No, I hear you. It's not a kindness. It's not a kindness to do that to people. I I would I would disagree on a like <laughs> on a relational level, but just in the sense that like these are you know the interests are I won't even I won't even argue that part but I completely get what you're saying you give this man yellow dog tincture and he decides well, to Well remember take it. I asked I made it with her with what I said we made it together so she learned to make it okay, so which is the point We're not going to talk about people that you give tincture to No but so what I'm what I was going to say are is that I that you give tincture to that's what I'm yes, talking about. Yes, yes, yes. So you there give are someone some tincture. Let's say you give someone yes. some tincture. they have a, an acute an an infection. An infection. I'm so sorry? like with a, with a, there's a, there, let's, for example, say people who have an acute infection or a child who has, you know, constipation. And while I, so, so acute issues, yes. And then I help them make it. So that's kind of the the way it's gone in my relationship with these, with my so friends. So first with you give them people. some and then you help them make some. Yes. So that when, so they come to slow- the, when they come to the end of what they've been given, they have more that they've made. Exactly. So not with everything because, like, for example, with echinacea, I have mm-hmm. to, I order it. I don't, I don't so, think that you're actually hearing me. Okay. Anytime we give something to someone else, we are telling them that they are inadequate. We are telling them that they don't count. We are telling them that we are bigger and more powerful and we will take care of them. 
even if after you do that you teach them how to do it, nonetheless. But Susan, I am bigger and more powerful. I have money. I have resources. I have land. They don't. So, you know, it's not like in a in a job of a I'm telling you that that's exactly what's wrong. That is exactly right there what's wrong.
relationship I, doesn't I, mean people are equal or powerful. You can no, throw the word relationship around. So with some, uh, you know, the, like, like the Pope, when I'm supposed to kiss its ring. It's meaningless to me, really. Relationships are dynamic and they're ever changing and they're negotiations I, and they're, you know, giving and under, receiving. Would you, would you listen to how much you're defending yourself, please? <laughs> I know, because I. <laughs> Well, I, if you I didn't think that what you were doing needed defense, you would just say, okay. Okay, okay. <laughs> but obviously, you do think it needs defense. Well, it makes me... Yeah, very it makes me... Defensive. Okay. Okay, Susan. All right. <laughs> Look Thank deeper. you. I will. Thank you, Susan. Good night. Good night. All right. And we have four callers with their hands raised. We've got about 17 minutes before our guest joins us. Our next caller is calling from the 218 area code. The 218, you're live with Susan. Hello, Susan. This is Anna. How are you? Hi, Anna. I'm doing well. How about you? I am doing I am doing well, interesting and well. Um first of all, I really miss you. I babysit on Tuesday nights now, so I haven't I haven't oh. I haven't caught you live in many months. So this is a nice treat. Um I you know, I'm fifty nine years old and I think that's a lot of what's going on. Um I'm wanting if we get to it, I have a, a health and herb question. But the more important ones are, are resources for working with anger. Um, you know, I've been so angry, and I've been letting it rip more than I ever have in my life, and and I need to learn how to work with it. And and most of the people around me really don't like anger at all and, and think it's a pathology. Um, and then my second question is about, I remember you... Um, talking about PTSD as an opportunity, and and I'm you know I have some again some things going on in me. Post, like, wow, post-traumatic stress discovery. Discovery, yeah. So where do I find out more about that? Oh, golly. Well, in today's day and age, usually. The easiest way to do that is to go online All right. and to say, hey, what are people doing um, in terms of post-traumatic um, recovery? And I know that um, the people who are doing it say that there, I think there are like five major areas that people explore, which can be. Um, working with animals, working with plants, doing some kind of outdoor adventure yourself, um, doing community service, in other words, being of service to other people, and doing art. Mm. And that these are five avenues that they have found that are very, very useful. Now, Mm -hmm. in Abundantly Well which we're referring to a lot tonight, and of course that's exactly why I wrote it, so that it would be there to refer to. On page 136, 
um, is a list of resources for emotional tonics. Um, we see Soraya Chamali with her book published in 2019, Rage Becomes Her. <laughs> Deborah Rosman and Doc Childra, Overcoming Emotional Chaos. Brittany Cooper's book, also published in 2019, Eloquent Rage. Um, Judith Plant, an old book, Healing the Wounds. And um, Thomas Stone, Cure by Crying, 1995. So those are some resources. Yeah, that's great. And there are also some, um, uh, but primarily, um, resources, online resources for laughter and for gratitude. Mm-hmm. So, in general, what I can say about working with anger is that it's more important to experience than it is to make a story. Right, yeah. So, in what safe way can you experience your rage? What Elizabeth Cooper Ross liked was a rubber radiator hose and a phone book. But phone books are, oh my goodness, a thing of the past. Um, so that's a difficult one. There are um, things designed to be hit called batakas, which are yeah. added. You can take a... Um, New section of the New York Times and open it up and roll it with the cut edges in so they don't fly everywhere and use that as a bataka. I have seen people take old beaten up tennis rackets and use those and you want something soft to hit like a couch or a bed. Right. In Japan, there are actually stores where you can go in and buy glassware and um plates and so on, and then you go into a room where you can fling them at a wall and break them. When I moved into the place where I'm living, there was a tree between the house and where the barn stands now with about, oh, golly gee, the pile of glass was over my knee. So maybe two feet of glass, and then, of course, spread out in like a volcano around it. And I realized after looking through some things in the house that the couple who lived there, that the woman had died and left him, basically. And he had spent the couple of years between her death and his death breaking glass because he was so furious. And my guess that he went out to this tree, there was all around the tree, that he went to this tree every time he had bottles and just smashed the bottles. Mm-hmm. It was an awful mess for me to have to clean up. But I'm sure he benefited yeah. from it. I know that that I have talked to several people who say, oh, they love to go to the resource recovery area and especially to take bottles to recycle because they can throw them into the bin and break them. 
In fact, in Germany, they have bottle recycling bins that are very, it's almost like they're made for people to like enjoy the thrill of the crash and the clash and the clatter and the break. So how can you give that to yourself without a story? How can you just give yourself that in a way that's safe? You know you're angry. You don't need help identifying the fact that you're angry. So you're not really looking for a therapist who's going to encourage you to, to do stories. You're looking for a safe place and something safe to hit. Right. And if that makes you laugh, so be it. And if it makes you cry, so be it. And if it makes you scream, so be it. It's all good. And if you feel that there's too much energy from what you've done, ground yourself. Put your bare hands on the earth. Mm. Nice. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for asking. Yeah. Yeah. Is there time for the physical question, or do you need to move on? Um, Sarah Ellen, how are we doing? You said we just have a few minutes. How yeah, many questioners are there left? Three calls. I guess I, sh- I guess I should move on. Yep. Thank you very much. All right. Love you a lot. I love you. Bye-bye. All right. Next caller is calling from the 845 area code from the 845. You're live with Susan. Oh, hi, Susan. Hi. Hi. Um, Gee, I was driving down uh, the road at the end of August, and I saw you outside. I was going to stop, but the UPS guy was there. I was visiting the twins at at the top of the hill. Yes, they're wonderful twins. Oh, I just love them. So, um... I need your help with um, this new uh, idea uh, with feminized seeds. Are you you aware of that? With what? Feminized seeds. That's what they're calling them. So it's uh, it's something a plant, they, they say, it's some well, I mean, I think I've experienced it, and they're selling them on the on the market uh, if uh, a cannabis plant a female plant this must, this must be cannabis plant, that we're talking about here well, cannabis, but I know there's other plants that do this, like Jack in the pulpit can change sexes, so they're saying a female plant can change its sex if you don't pick its flower then it'll think, oh, I'm going to die and make seeds. So they're guaranteed to be female seeds, though. And they sell them like that. But I'm thinking, well, what could the quality be, though? Like, isn't that a little weird? What do you think about that? I'm not sure what you mean by quality. Well... Let's let's go just 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 go back to a little bit to basics with humans, okay? Like the same so, sex is saying. Human yeah. 
women have eggs, yes? Yeah. And every cell in a woman's body has two X chromosomes. I agree. Now, the eggs, which are reproductive cells, have only one chromosome. What will it be? What chromosome is is an egg going to have? X? There is no other choice, is there? Okay. They have to have X chromosomes. When the egg is fertilized by a sperm, the sperm may be either X or Y because men's cells contain an X and a Y. If the egg is fertilized by a sperm that has a Y chromosome, that grows into a baby boy. If it is fertilized by a sperm that has an X chromosome, it grows into a baby girl. If the egg is not fertilized by a sperm, but instead divides and grows on its own, what will it be, a boy or a girl? A girl. There is no other choice, is there? Yeah. And and so, but I... So that's not weird or strange or having anything to do with quality, right? I kind of like the idea. I just think it, you know... uh, I just keep thinking about it and thinking about it, and I'm actually experimenting right now to try to make it happen. Uh, I think I did last year by accident, and I was like, wow, what was that? How'd that happen, you know? It's just like a few, you know, not like, you know, ba-boom, ba-boom. It's just, you know, a little bit, you know, a little bit. Uh, but, you know, you got to have a nice fall like this, too, you know. Nice, good weather, on and on and on and on. Right. So it has the time to do that, yeah. Oh, this has been wonderful talking to you, and I'm going to see if Thank I can you. fit another okay. question in, if that's okay with All right. you. Thanks for answering. Bye-bye. You're welcome. Great blessings. Good night. All right. And our next caller is also, or is calling from the 218 area co- from the 218 area code, you are live with Susan. Oh, this is, is this is Anna. This is Anna, and I already talked. I don't know how I got back oh, to the okay. Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> uh, from the 845, you are live with Susan. How wonderful. Good evening, Susan, and wonderful moderator, and everyone on the line. Um, this is Elizabeth. I hope it's okay to ask a question for somebody else because the person I'm asking for is too ill and too weak to speak for herself. She has sure, go ahead. Oh, thank you. She's just gone through whole brain radiation, and she just got finished with 10 days of whole brain radiation to kill metastasized brain cancer. And those were all tons of little small cancer spots all over her brain. So they're hoping to zap it out of her. And um, really, 
I know you can't really say what tincture is used, but maybe you can direct me to one of your wonderful books where you might describe what would be helpful for post-radiation treatment and chemo, chemo support. I know it's a difficult question, but... And it's a let, tough me life you, let me give you the page number here. Oh, thank you and so much. Page, and I love your books. That, They're great. Thank you so much. Protect Yourself from Radiation Damage is page 235. Okay. And 236, and it tells you things that you can use during and after. And then also on page 236, there's a list of adaptogens. Adaptogenic herbs enhance the cancer-killing effects of chemotherapy and radiation while protecting healthy cells. And um, I focus on American ginseng, AMLA, and Siberian ginseng as three wonderful adaptogens. Any one of them used for a year or more after treatment increases survival time, reduces mortality, reduces inflammatory response, reduces short and long-term radiation side effects, reduces pain, reduces fatigue, inhibits mutations of genes from radiation damage, protects the thyroid, heart, and lungs, protects lipids from radiation-induced peroxidation. Mm. Thank you so, so much. So those are on pages 235 and 236. And actually, I had a handout made of that, and everybody who um, gets a correspondence course gets that as a that handout as part of their uh, course package. All right. Because... Well, because so many, many many people are being encouraged to use radiation, and it is far more damaging than they let on. But then so you're I in a desperate, I hope, desperate I hope this state, can right? Be helpful. Go, go for it. What's the name of the person who's who you're we're talking about here? Catherine. Catherine. All right. We're all sending our blessings out. To Catherine, thanks for asking for her. She's got a good friend in you. Green Thank thanks. you good so night. very much, Susan. Thank you. I will let her know. Great. Brianna Borton is a leader and a teacher in a new category of spirituality. And, of course, that's the first question I was going to ask her is, what on earth does she mean by that? Brianna's work focuses on how our connection to our souls, each other, the divine and the earth is the solution. I don't know what the problem is. Brianna is the founder of Dragon Tree Spas, Apothecary, and Dragon Tree Life Coaching, and has written numerous books, including the Rituals for Living Dream Book, and Planner, and The Well Life. Her greatest passion is doing energy work with people in groups and one-on-one that open them up and create freedom so their fullest potential can be awakened. Welcome to the show, Brianna. Thank you so much for having me. 
what is a new category of spirituality? As I was working toward, you know, creating a description of what I was doing, as I was talking to people about spirituality and how it was arising for them, what I really found was that there's this way of being with ourselves and with energy work in a spiritual way that felt like it opened people up in the in a way that allowed them to have a more direct connection to the divine. So when I talk about that as a category, I really feel like it's spiritual work mixed with energy work and starting to really get to know ourselves and become our own healers in that way. Okay. I hear you. I must admit this does not sound at all new to me, but I can hear that it's new to you. As a matter of fact, this sounds terrifically old. It is obviously the way that we all were originally. The whole idea yeah. of people saying, oh, that our ancestors worshipped this or that or the other thing, of course, is absurd. They didn't worship anything at all. You have to be separated from your own self and your own spirituality to worship. They were. They were grateful. And they understood that they were part of life. Indeed. Mm-hmm. So, so I think that's what you're getting at, is that um, you are reuniting um, people with the oldest form of spirituality. You've yes. been doing this book for about 20 years. Has your approach changed over that time? Yeah, I mean, I started in the wellness world in a very, um, you know, I started with Ayurvedic medicine and doing massage, which was just a lot more physical touch. And even though I did a lot of energy work physically um, over the years, that's changed a lot. I have spas in Portland and in Boulder where, you know, we do still do a lot of physical work with people. But as my work developed, I rec- we started to recognize how much whole life wellness really includes all of these other categories, being able to create the goals that you want to create in your life and being able to take care of yourself and have a spiritual practice and all of these more daily, not just like going to the spa, which is wonderful, but also not a daily activity. And so to start to create daily wellness for people that really met them, mind, body, and spirit has shifted a lot over the 20 years that I've been in this industry. So when you started out, you started out by studying the healing of a country where you don't live. Yes, I did. I started And you started by... studying herbs that don't grow where you are. So it was all very second and third hand. And you also found that you were doing a lot of hands-on work. And that, of course, being a more direct experience, um, we would all be pretty clear that that would be far more satisfying than the very indirect and very um, male-centered and heroic uh, way that Ayurvedic is uh, being presented 
to the West. That has very deep, wise woman roots, uh, but those certainly are not in the uh, general way that it is taught. So you found yourself um, moving more into um, energy medicine. Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like Ayurveda at its roots actually, I mean, just the same as lots of different original medicine is energy medicine. And so I, you know, moved. It didn't seem like that actually far of a move, but definitely that's what I leaned towards in what I learned in school for Ayurvedic medicine and what I ended up focusing a lot with my clients. And so that's started opening up more and more of that curiosity in me and starting to study and practice more energy medicine. Yeah. What is the most common advice that you give to a client? Hmm. Most common. I would say the most common advice I give to clients is to really come in and learn how to love themselves. And that's, you know, kind of the top line advice, obviously, just like saying that isn't actually like helping somebody do that, but to direct people in that route to just start to fall in love with themselves and claim themselves and claim their own energy and claim their health and their bodies for themselves feels like it's what is missing for a lot of people to actually start taking those steps that they need to take in order to care for themselves. What a beautiful way to come to it, huh? Yeah. I'm sure that you know, like, like I have, have seen that when people come to change because they don't like something and they're going to get rid of it, that that change doesn't take and stay around in the same way that change does when it's something that we want and we're striving for. Yeah. It feels really like if we are doing it in service of ourselves instead of in spite of ourselves, there's a whole different energy to it. What a beautiful way to put it, really, Hmm. in service to ourselves. We talk so much about being in service to other people. I really, really like hearing you say, be in service to yourself. How does that work out for you? How are you in service to yourself? Hmm. It's interesting. I was just talking with one of the groups I lead today about my, you know, my path of self-love and how that's developed for me from being, I remember when I was 19, having a, a sweet boyfriend to be like, look in the mirror and tell yourself you love yourself and me just crying. I was like, I cannot, cannot say this. It's like, I just didn't feel it. And from that moment to be on this really beautiful path of learning to love myself has been, I really feel like the most beautiful path of my life to learn to be with myself and claim my energy, not just, you know, first, which I feel like a lot of us are like first, but then we do it like in the morning and then we forget about ourselves all day, but like first and always to be with myself and to hold myself as vital in this situation and in this conversation and in the choices I make all throughout the day has really changed the way I've done, I mean, all things, the way I work, the way I raise my children, the way I interact with 
people, the way I eat food, like all of the ways. And I think that there's very few other things that can impact us so deeply as to just say, what if I just deeply cared about this human that I'm animating here? I hope everyone is listening to what Brianna is saying. How would my life be different if I really cared about myself? And that's something that isn't just doing a little something for yourself or buying yourself a diamond or a box of chocolates or even flowers, although those are all good things to do. I'm not talking against those things at all. But you're talking about something that happens with every breath. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like we tend to um, like subjugate our care for ourselves to these very small moments in time. But that isn't really the kind of care that this human needs. Right? This human needs our care all the time. And it doesn't mean that we, you know, I believe that we can still be in service to other people and in service to people all the time. But it's, I don't lose connection with myself while doing it. And that, like, I just will turn myself over to you and just be, you know, whatever you need. I have one hand taking care of myself and one hand in service to you. And in that balance, I never, I don't go so far away from myself. And I feel like one of the things that can happen so often is we go so far away that then when we look back, we're like, what the heck? Where am I? And how did I get here? And so I think that this balance of really being with ourselves consistently helps a lot. I say that the wise woman tradition is based on nourishment. And, of course, when you hear the word nourishment, you immediately think of, oh, what you're eating or possibly even what you're drinking. But I expand that, that it's not just what we put in our mouths, but that nourishment is also being heard and being able Mm -hmm. to listen and engaging in simple ritual. Tell us about the rituals in your life. You know, I really feel like the ritual ritual in my life has opened up um, this really sweetness in my life. It feels very sweet to me to have these rituals that I come to many times a day. So I have a ritual that I do in the morning when I wake up um, that is, you know, it, it doesn't never change, but it's pretty consistent in what it is. And then I have rituals that I do with my children around mealtime and rituals with my children around bedtime and then rituals for myself around bedtime. And those are our daily rituals. But then there's, you know, yearly rituals that we end up um, choosing, you know, for ourselves, whether those are birthday rituals or holiday rituals. But rather than for us and our family just going along and kind of like going through the motions of a ritual, which I feel like sometimes, especially if they've been passed to us by our family, but we don't have a connection to the reason for it, um, it can feel a little, it has at least, I guess I should say, for me, it it has felt like a little, like uh, just manual, like I'm doing the manual things. But when I started creating rituals that meant something to me, that like deepened me into the meaning that I have around this 
like my birthday, my kid's birthday, a holiday, it has really made life feel more meaningful, which I think is one of the things that we're so craving is to feel like there's meaning here. And so to do that daily and then to do that throughout the year has affected all of us in in my family and many of my clients so deeply. It's really beautiful. Before we get too far along, I would like you to give people a way to get in touch with you. I know they're curious and want to know more. We still have more time to talk, but I don't want to leave it till the very end. Yeah, if people want to find me, you can find me at com, and it's Brianna, B-R-I-A-N-A, Borton, B-O-R-T-E-N.com. And you can find from there my business, The Dragon Tree, too. You can link it. You can find everything about me from that one site, which is nice and easy. All right. You certainly make it easy for us. Thank you. <laughs> what a gift. <laughs> hmm. What are you doing right now that is most exciting to you? Hmm. Well, I actually yesterday was the end of a retreat that I just led where um, we do a training to help people, you know, remove blocks from experiencing their full potential. And so I feel like you do after leading a container like that. So excited. And then next weekend I have another retreat um, with some of my apprentices. And so that, like, in, in my immediate right now, that feels really exciting to me. And I'm also starting to create a program for entrepreneurs that are also on a spiritual path and working to um, – I'm, I'm in the beginning processes of that, and I'm very excited about it. Yes, that does sound exciting. Tell us a little more about that. What do you mean by entrepreneurs, and what do, are you um, like? There's so many different ways to be an entrepreneur, from um, getting a franchise <laughs> to um, creating your own product to uh, doing software to having a service. Are you particularly focused on women who want to be entrepreneurs as healers, or just anything goes? Well, I tend to attract women who want to be healers, you know, just because it's my path. Um, But I also tend to attract people who want to create natural product lines and people who want to have physical spaces as well just because they're things that I've done and things I still do. So they're still parts of my life and part of what I manage on a daily basis. And so... Mostly, I'd say I find people that are in, like, the health, wellness, healing field, the coaching field, are who are most attracted to me. But I also have clients that do own, you know, a franchise, like a Chick-fil-A. I'm like, okay, here we go. So um, I'm definitely more focused on the health and healing world. But um, I'm also, you know, if somebody wants to be in this vibe while also running a Chick-fil-A, I'm like, great, we will bring more love and peace into that location then. Right. Let's have it everywhere. Right. What was your most unexpected discovery on your path? 
Well, there's been a lot, honestly, um, of discoveries that I've ex- I thought were surprising to me. But actually, one of the things that I, I found for myself was noticing how much food and what I ate impacted my clarity as at, like doing energy work, especially, and my intuition. And when I made that discovery of wow, when I eat this, I am less clear. And, you know, when I drink this, I am less clear. And I think some of those things, like if you were to say, like, alcohol, you'd be like, oh, well, that would make sense that you were less clear. But some of the things were more like eating cow dairy for me is one of those things where when I eat cow dairy, my intuition is not as clear. And so I was surprised, I guess surprised and also kind of not surprised by how much our physical body can impact our intuition and our energy and all of those things and our ability to do energy work with other people. So that was a, I mean, it was a discovery I made probably four years ago. I still fought against it because I loved cow dairy so much and I was very sad. Um, But when I really stopped eating cow dairy to, to see how much things shifted for me was, surprising you need to find a therapist and get some work done with you and your mother Hmm. hatred of the cow hatred of dairy is hatred of your mother purely Hmm. and simply there's absolutely nothing that makes you unclear when you consume dairy as a matter of fact it makes me the clearest that's why I own a herd of dairy goats well, I feel like all humans are bio-individual in that we probably all experience things differently. The cow but is our mom. dairy, I actually do very well. Mammals, and mammals drink milk. And that's a given mm-hmm. for actually, every lots of mammals mammal. don't eat mammals other drink mammals' milk. milk. Yeah, sure they do. If I spill the if a goat steps in the milk and I put a pan of milk out, every animal comes out of the woods and drinks it. Every animal comes out of the woods and drinks it. They don't have thumbs, so they can't milk. But then you do a lot of things that those thumbs let you do. Other animals don't wear clothes, but you do. Other animals don't wear glasses, but you do. Other animals don't talk on the telephone, but you do. So you do a lot of things other animals don't do. And don't seem to find those repugnant. You're the one that said that all animals drink milk. That's right. They do. Well, I said, not the milk of other animals. And I said, that's because they don't have thumbs, but there's a lot of things that those thumbs allow us to do. And I'm so glad that I have a thumb. And the raccoons, of course, drive us crazy because they have thumbs. We have to put a big rock against the door to keep the raccoons out because the raccoons just open the door with their thumbs. Oh, they are so difficult. So, um, I, as a person who's worked with people and food for my entire life have uh, found that anytime we take a whole food and demonize it that we need to look into ourselves because there's something amiss within ourselves there's no good quality whole food that um, needs to be thrown out of the human diet neither bread nor cheese nor anything along those lines. 
Well, I think that there's a misconception that I've demonized anything. First, I just want to okay. clarify. I'm not demonizing okay. dairy. It I teach dairy my kids. You unclear. I'm talking about myself. And I know myself better than you know me, and I hope that you hold that. I'm not talking about you. Yes, I'm talking about. I'm talking about saying that dairy does it, and it's not dairy. And if I was there to work with everyone, we would be able to find out that it's not the dairy itself at all. That's all I'm saying. We and because I have done this work with hundreds and hundreds of people who have said, oh, dairy makes me this or dairy makes me that, and it's never true. So you think it's been always your mother for everyone? Yeah, it sure is. Because that's where you got your first milk, which is from your mom. And without that, you wouldn't be here. And people well, have... Yes, your mother didn't actually nurse you. That. Happens that they were very, very young when that happened, and some people are really upset about it. And some people are not so upset about it, but it's very interesting. I have seen hundreds of times when people get clear with mom, suddenly milk makes sense to them, and it makes them tremendously healthy. In fact, I've never met a woman with good bones who doesn't have some dairy products in her diet. You can't do it by dairy. Is what gives us good bones? Is that accurate? Dairy is the most important ingredient for healthy bones for a woman who wants to live for a long time. If you're going to die in your 60s, it doesn't really matter. But if you want to live to your 70s, 80s, and 90s, then eating dairy in your 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s is critical. So what about cultures that just don't eat cow dairy in general? Are all of those women going to have bad bones then? Those women tend not to live into the ages I'm talking about. They tend to die in their 60s. If you go and check out the Actually, in many of the green, val- green areas in the world where women live a very long time, men live a very long time, a lot of those areas are in areas where people do not consume much, if the any. The blue zones where people live the longest, healthiest lives all consume dairy. The blue zones have been right, found, and that's where the people live the longest and the healthiest lives, and they all consume dairy. They're not... It's, there's no there's no such thing as a green zone that I know of. There are blue zones. Yeah, I meant blue zones. Sorry, misspoke. But yeah, okay. I, I have never heard of the green zone, and the blue zones are dairy. Absolutely, maybe not the kind of dairy that you are thinking of, but good quality local dairy, and the evidence is very, very clear. There is no upper limit on the amount of yogurt that a woman may eat. And the more yogurt that she eats, the healthier her bones will be, and the healthier in general she will be. Similarly, there's no upper limit on the amount of cheese that a woman can eat and get health benefits from. The more cheese she eats, the more health benefits she gets. There is an upper limit on fluid milk, which is right around 32 ounces a day. More than 32 ounces of fluid milk a day can be a problem for women, but I know very few women who are drinking that much milk. So I usually urge women to focus in on the yogurt. It has such a a host of wonderful, wonderful effects. So tell me a little about some of the teachers that you've had, a recent teacher or a teacher far back. Hmm. Well, one of my favorite teachers is Adyashanti. He is one of my favorite teachers. I, 
he's one of the people I've learned from for many, many years. And so, and I have valued him incredibly high. Um, I also have a teacher, Hiro Boga, who I also value very highly, who I've worked with. Um, those would be the two that come to mind that I've worked with that have impacted me greatly. Do, do they have um, differing things that you value them for? Do you value them for the same things? Mm. Different things, I guess. I value um, Ajishanti. He has a beautiful, simple way of communicating very, um, what I would say, complex but eternal concepts in a way that feels like it really lands in my system beautifully. And Hero, uh, she's just so straightforward and loving, but like gets right into the heart of what creates challenges and really, I feel like, pushed me in beautiful ways to open. Oh, how wonderful. That's always so precious when we find a teacher who can do that for us. So true. Yeah. Thank you for sharing this, those wonderful people with us. We have come almost to the end of our show, and it's a blog talk show, so they really do slam the door on us. And so I'm going to ask you the last question that I always ask, which is what do you want to leave in the minds and the hearts of everyone who's been listening to you tonight, Brianna Borton? Hmm. I think I would come back to this feeling of self-love, to just really trust yourself, to come into learning to trust yourself and claim your energy and to deeply fall in love with yourself as the most precious medicine we can have in our lives. Thank you. Thank you, Brianna. I envision that we are reweaving the healing cloak of the ancients. And I see that the threads that you are adding to this cloak are very important threads and that they form a web which reaches out to many other people as well. Thank you. We Thank see you so much for having me. Value and appreciate everything that you're doing. Mm-hmm. And Sarah Ellen, thank you for helping me to reclaim herbal medicine as people's medicine. Really cherish the care and the focus that you bring to these Tuesday evenings. We all appreciate you, Sarah Ellen. And everyone listening, hey, we appreciate you too. Each and every one of you is helping to return herbal medicine to the home where it belongs. And each and every one of you is weaving that healing cloak. Good night, everybody, and green blessings.